Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Get Out of Rap. Today I'm joined by Andy Cook, who is the Customer Experience and People Director at Ruroc. And I think we first met Andy, um, you've been lead judge for European Awards, UK Awards, and we've kind of ended up in the same group of judges. So I've spent some intense days judging and I've really got to know you and uh, it's long overdue that you're on the on the podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the those judging days are are good, but they are intense. You learn a lot, but they are some really, really intense days. And I think it's always it, you get to know someone quite well, don't you? Because you yeah. kind of your views on things, how you interpret different um, nominations, presentations, and things like that. And I think you've always sort of managed to bring great insight, but also that kind of that human human touch as well. You're doing it again this year, I presume. I am. I am indeed. Yeah, yeah. So I think they're coming up at uh, back at there's there's judging in May, and then there's if you then go we go go through to November, don't we, for the for the Europeans and stuff. So yeah, looking forward to it. We're bound to be in a room again at the we same will. time. We will. <laughs> so let's. Where did it all start for you then, and um, to where you are now? Yeah. You know, I've been thinking about this probably as everybody does. Who knows they're coming on and goes right? Okay, let's talk. Let's talk about career history, and I. I took, I've kind of had quite an eclectic pathway to customer service in many respects. I, when I was at school, all I wanted to do was be a journalist. I was determined to be a journalist. I was going to be the next Clark Kent minus the cape um, working for like the Times. And so I, I, I did. I, that was what I was going to do. I was going to go to university and study journalism. I actually got a job as an apprentice reporter for, for the local newspaper where I live in Stroud in Gloucestershire really? um, and spent a year there. As an 18-year-old kid, you're covering some interesting subjects, some really dull subjects as well. I mean, sitting in a, in a district council meeting until 11 o'clock at night hearing about all sorts of uh, policies, which you have no idea when you're 18 years old. So I did that for a while, then moved into publishing, did a couple of years in publishing. And then really, I think by that point, I'd realised I wasn't going to be the next big Clark Kent um, and went to work for a finance, financial company in Cheltenham um, who did manage financial data and was there for about 18 months or so. Um, and then the business went through a really, really tricky patch around the kind of the dot-com bubble, I show my age. Um, so we, 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 we had to um, cut, some, cut some roles and mine was one of them. And I ended up at the Chelsea Building Society for about five, six years doing financial, in financial services. So I was doing kind of sales and business development and relationship management. Um, then became a financial advisor. I was a mortgage advisor for about three, four years. Yeah, um, your C-maps. Yeah, I've got my C-maps. Yeah, Me my too. C-maps and my, and my insurance. Uh, is it the, the insurance? Not ICOB, but I had some yeah. of my insurance qualifications as well. So yeah, I did all of that. And I really enjoyed that because ultimately you're customer facing. You're dealing with customers all day, every day. It was hard. And looking back, I probably didn't take it as seriously as I should have done at the time. You do look back and go, oh, I spent a little bit too much time not doing my paperwork. And I was kind of have a bit of reputation for it back, back then. But I mean, let's say that's 16, 17 years ago. And then... It was when the, um, the when the financial crash happened around 2008, 2008 yeah. I'd, I'd gone self-employed as a, as a mortgage advisor about six months before. Really? So of course, the business just dried up. Um, so I had a bit of a reality reality check and thought, right, I need to move out of this. I've been doing it eight, in financial services sort of eight years or so. And that was when I tipped up at Ecotricity, who are a small green energy supplier, although bigger and much more famous these days through... Um, 
Uh, the fact they own Forest Green Rovers Football Club, or Dale Bates, yeah. you know, owns Forest Green Rovers, who Forest Green are kind of punching well above their weight. Yeah, that's a great yeah. story, that one. Yeah, um, get out there on a relatively reason, regular basis to go and watch them. And it's, it's a cracking football club. Um, but yeah, I went to Ecotricity as a team leader and as a manager. So that was my first foray into team leader, management, people management. And that was <laughs> quite, quite, again, quite an interesting experience because I was from a sales background and mortgage advising in a state agency it was brutal it was yeah. really tough kind of everything you imagine about a state agency is in some ways it's not true because those guys care so much about their customers and about mm. making sure that people buy their homes like they the stereotype in some respects absolutely isn't true they care about customers they really want people to get their jobs get their houses and get their mortgages and everything else but the sales environment was so tough it was if you miss a target you're in trouble if you miss a target you're in trouble and so when I joined Ecotricity, which was just not like that at all, I kind of moved into Ecotricity as the team leader, sales team initially. And then from there, my role just grew and grew and grew. I was there, what, five and a half years? And after a couple of years, took on the customer service team as well. And that was really my first foray into customer service. Um, and again, that role grew. When I, when I took it over, I think I joined and we had six people. And by the time I left, I had about 140 and it was in the space of five and it, it just felt like bits were getting bolted onto my job kind of every six or 12 months but i loved it absolutely loved it there um worked with some genuinely fantastic kind of leaders and i always say it was a really safe space so you got to make your mistakes without fear um you get stuff wrong you go through your first disciplinaries and you go through your first redundancies and sackings and performance management and ultimately though it was such a great culture there that you could get it right, get it wrong. And the, the, the director there at the time and the head of were really, really supportive of me, enabled me to go and kind of learn, grow and the, and the role grew. Um, and yeah, so after that then was kind of reaching a bit of a ceiling there. I'd been there five, five years or so, feeling like we were starting to almost recycle some of what we've done before. Um, and I like to keep things fresh and new and try new stuff all the time. So I went to Ovo, who at that point were kind of the, these were the, the shiny, new, exciting new kids on the block who no one had really heard of, which is incredible now when you think of the yeah. size and scale they are. So I went to Ovo as an operations manager initially um, and then took over as a head of care for, on an interim basis and then through a restructure, um, took over a function. of We created a second line function, which was a hybrid of um, our best... We were in a situation where you had, and a lot of businesses have it, front-end customer services teams, you've got kind of new, new people in, inexperienced, dealing with high volume, low complexity, and you've got your back office teams, and we created a hybrid. So they were customer facing, but they were our kind of our most experienced front-end agents and our most customer-centric operations back office, and we created them into this new function of second line. And within that, we had complaints and social media and other stuff. Um, and again, was, was there, was over for about four years and that role grew and changed and had collections for a while as part of it as well, which is a completely different, completely different world. Then I moved on to Dyson. So I was head of customer service for Dyson, was there for about three years and we went through some massive changes at Dyson. And that was over the pandemic. Um, we went through, it, Dyson had uh, got quite a huge company. And but they admitted they'd kind of got a little bit stale in some of the some of the ways they were running the UK contact centre and their and their operations, and needed to refresh it. And we'd we'd come off the back of riding the wave of uh, over winning the European awards as part of Justin Haynes's team. I know Justin's been on here, um, and went to Dyson and kind of just it was all about transformation there. So it was like three years of transformation, 
and then got approached from a random motorbike helmet manufacturing company and tipped up here to do something completely different. So small, high growth, almost startup mentality. Um, and I've been here for the last year or so. So there you go. That's that's 22 years of my life all in. <laughs> you know what? There's so many things to um, to unpack there. And interestingly, that we have a lot of correlation because, I, like I say, I did, um, even though it's contact center based, we were mortgage advisors, but over the phone. Yeah, and and you something you said really struck with me was around how some of the, the I I always found the stress that came and the perceptions that people have of that kind of industry, but for for me and the team the stresses were a hitting targets, but b you know that people are moving house or these are all very emotive things. You know they're not um, it's 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 not a purchase of of something. It is their home. So every conversation was laced with emotion and I think you kind of carry that but the same as you uh 2008 obviously everything went down the toilet and Mm. that was that was me leaving um the mortgage world but I want to if I can sort of ask you about when you look at your when you look at your career one of the things that kind of jumps out to me is this need to be out of your uh comfort zone and, and what would you say to people that are listening that are maybe quite early on in their careers around how you can how you can grow um, through seeking out the edges and going outside of your comfort zone? Yeah, I think I think that's one of the things that I've enjoyed most across my whole working life is it's really easy to get really comfortable settled in a role. You know that you know every person in the business, you know every single process and nuance that goes on. Um, but ultimately, it's how much are you learning within that environment. And I've, I try to learn. People who might work with me in the past say, hey, he doesn't learn quick enough. But I, I try to learn and try to take on feedback and grow and develop. But I'm at the point now where I can look back and say, I've worked for or with this person, this person, this person, this person. And I've learned different things from each of them. So going into Dyson, the MD there was an incredible woman hard as nails um she's absolutely fantastic but she was absolutely just so tough and so commercial and that was something i didn't have i come from ecotristically really safe space over really high growth go into dyson it hit me like a ton of bricks i'm managing a multi-million pound PL, and you're suddenly going wow i've got to learn this and i've got to learn fast because i'm not yeah. going to be here um yeah. but actually the more that you learn from those people and you learn from the people around you you just you pick up a bigger skill set i think and it's both in terms of your what, what you're actually able to deliver. So you, 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 you're almost your hard skills of how do I run a PL, how do I run a contact center, how do I run a customer service team, but also your, your softer skills. You, you learn to adapt your style, you, you, you grow more, I think. Um, probably the person I was even five or six years ago from in the working environment, that person isn't me now because actually I've just learned and adapted and learned that, <clears throat> excuse me, to be the best version of me, I have to, I have to change. I have to learn and take the feedback on board, even if it's really uncomfortable. And I think that's the biggest thing is, is to say, if, you, if you're with it early in your career, don't be afraid to move. Don't be afraid to take a step into something you go, I'm, A, I'm not sure if I'm ready for it, or I'm not sure if it's quite right, because no job is perfect. And, and, and anyone who says they're, they're in the perfect job is a liar, because they'll have good and bad days, same as everybody else. But it's okay, and, and actually being that kind of sometimes being the new guy in a, in a, or, or girl in a company, that's okay. It's okay because you're you are you're 
you're accelerating your learning in those early phases because you have to because you have to learn so much so quickly and that's that stands you in really good stead as you kind of the, almost the longer you go through the career because you've got more you've got more books on your bookshelf that you can take yeah. off and, and, and refer back to just by have, working with different people different cultures and different environments and do you think um because you you mentioned as well didn't you that quite early on in your career at a young age um was it as a result of a restructure were you made redundant yeah so that and again people encountering that early on in their career um at the time of course no one no one likes that i i went through something similar but i look back at that moment and go that has helped me mm. genuinely i i was what 2021 20, when i was first made redundant and it was at the time you're going oh is it I'm not good enough or is it that the team I was part of because our whole team went as where 15 of us went all at the same time and you do go it's like a relationship breakup oh yeah it's, it's not them it's me but suddenly you, <laughs> you you kind of you then move on to something that otherwise you might never have looked at and I think mm. that's it sometimes I, I ended up in the Chelsea Building Society which at that time was kind of a very successful very stable company and again I got to work with some great people there and I got to do things which I otherwise wouldn't have done at a relatively young age kind of 21 22 and I was going out into Chelsea Burns started branches, running training sessions with financial advisors and all this stuff around the, around the subject area that we were on. I'd never have done that if I'd have stayed where I was. Mm. So I think, yeah, the biggest bit is, is being made redundant is actually okay. It's how you respond to it and what you take away from it that is so, so important. And if you, if you see it as it's kind of, well, okay, that door's closing, but there is genuinely another one opening and I'll be in a you'll probably end up in a in a role or an adventure or doing something that you just otherwise would have been a bit blinkered and wouldn't have spotted. Um, and it's okay to kind of go into that, the unknown stage and have a bit of fear and a bit of kind of sick feeling in your belly. Cause actually that's, that is in the long run, what makes you, what makes you stronger. It becomes a bit addictive as well though, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, there is that. There is that. Yeah, there is that. And that's, and, and genuinely I, I've kind of spoken to different people in my career about it. I've always, I tended to be about three to five years in most roles I'm in um because you start going through the cycle of we've done this and then you 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 have a year of, of building you have a year of delivering you have a, a year where it's going well and then you kind of it's almost reset and start again i think most businesses recognize that cycle and i tend to go after one or one and a half cycles um that's just the way i i've i've generally moved on i think the longer i've got in my career i'm now at that point of going right okay my next move i want it to be a five to ten year partly because of my age but also because i think you've I've almost built up that library now of different experiences and cultures that I think I can have a, a bigger impact over a longer period of time. It's a little bit like sport, isn't it? And just kind of, um, you're ready to, to build a team, a proper yeah. team. Yeah. Yeah. I want to build a legacy. I want to, I want to, want to build a legacy as opposed to just having a, being a one, one hit wonder for a season. We weren't, going to talk, we weren't going to talk about sport. Come on, as, as an Everton fan, you can't. We can't talk about sport at the moment. So. You're on the back of a good result. <laughs> you're on the back. Although you've got to look after Delhi Alley. We have. I, sorry, got, as a Spurs fan, yes, I know, I know. He's, sorry, he's one of the signatures on my on my shirt. I love Delhi Ali, but we'll take care of him for you. You better. <laughs> <laughs> so we, um, one of the things I know you're passionate about, and actually I've seen you really probe people well and have some really great conversations around um, how you how you combine customer experience, digital experience, and technology. And you, you've got some really interesting thoughts around that. When, where, where did that first start becoming a, a, a topic of choice for you? I think it was in my OVO days. 
um ecotricity we were ecotricity we were quite like i say it was very safe so we weren't really innovating and pushing that space and when i joined ovo my eyes were really just opened up to what technology sits out there um that was my first encounter with something like salesforce and it blew my mind what salesforce did at, at that point um and then we started to move it i started to look at well actually where's social media going now social media kind of eight nine ten years ago was it was enormous obviously multi-billion pound companies but it wasn't just didn't feel like it was completely ingrained in everybody's life in the way it is now and customer reviews they were out there you, you had like TripAdvisor and stuff but they weren't again wasn't quite ingrained in the way it is now and i think so when i moved to ovo they were very tech driven very future thinking and that was really where that my, my interest in that stuff came through um the one of the projects that i was involved in really heavily was the setting up of the ovo customer forum which was setting up basically giving customers the ability to serve themselves and serve each other and help each other out and it was a weird concept to go well who who would talk about their energy bills and spend their own time talking about it and you don't think that they would but actually it's because people like to help because the majority yeah. of the people in the world are nice people and they want to help and if they feel that they've got they know a bit about it or if they've got a lot of it was like solar panels or whatever it might be they were just happy to help you help these people and ultimately commercially it made sense because it deflects contact and customers are getting the answers they want from the from the ovo forum as opposed to having to ring you or email you or whatever and it was that for me was the kind of real like light bulb moment of going wow there's something in this there is something in that democracy of customer service allowing customers to serve themselves and it's not just around having a really a fancy app but actually it's around giving people the ability to help each other um and you get you get some of the best customer feedback and the customer insight because it's not filtered it's not moderated it's not it's not it's not filtered it's just out there and you've got to be prepared to to respond to it and i think i've se i've seen that in the and then moving into dyson dyson was again a very different beast but ultimately is a global household name you get yeah. public feedback you can't hide from the reviews and the, the technology was incredible but our service at different points we had a lot of challenges there we had to transform it and so the social media side we weren't as heavy on there but i got really involved in kind of the back-end technology of how you can transform customer service from a technology perspective we we went from having a, a man in a van based repair, repair model to a digital repair model using video technology and augmented reality and that in itself was a fascinating project yeah I bet. um and then moving into Rurock, Rurock is a, we're a digital only brand. So we're D2C, e-com in a world of ultimately selling safety gear. So those that that gear has to be right and has to be absolutely spot on. And it's a brand that had been driven primarily through social media. It grown through social media for good and bad. Um, mm. And we've got a community of it's nearly 80,000 people on our, uh, it's the, the Rurock motorcycle gang. There's about 80,000 people in it. And when your product's right and your service is right, and they're happy it's a great place to be but when it's not and you've got supply chain issues it can be absolutely vicious in some respects but by the mm. same token you go well we've just got to take it we've just got if if we're at fault here there's no one else to there's nowhere to hide it's that we've made it we've made that environment what it is by not delivering on our promises not doing what we needed to do um and so you have to listen to your customers and so i think that part of just now customer feedback but in an open forum, I think is just, I find it really, really interesting because I think it's so different from those clo that closed feedback loop that an MPS survey might be of, what did you think of our service? And we'll tell you and you pick out your root cause, which has got its place. But I think these days the world's moved on. I think the, the social media, the public forums, all of that. And, 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 and then there's loads of technology platforms to sit around it. But ultimately, customers having a voice that you have no choice but to listen to, I think is 
it's where we are and are moving more towards and I think we'll carry on in the future. It makes you wonder, doesn't it, about... Um, because the thing that you're... A, you're fronting up when you have to, mm. but B, the other thing is you're passing... Uh, control isn't... It, it's not a... I'm going to control how you feedback and whether I use it. As you said, it's democratised. You've created an open... You create open communities... And if you do that in a sincere way, you have to listen to what people are saying, even if it's uncomfortable, because yeah. that's what happens in communities, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think there was a, there was a, we had a real inflection point with it last year. We were, we were trying to, we were going through some really tough times from a shipping perspective, and products were late, and customers weren't happy about it, and they were, they were talking about it on our, on the, on our in our Facebook groups and on our Facebook pages, but particularly in the RMG was really, really challenging. And we were quite, we were trying, we were almost trying to heavily moderate it. Mm. And the more you moderated it, it was like whack-a-mole. The more you moderated it, the <laughs> yeah. more it popped up. And so we, we actually said, you know, this just isn't working. What we're trying to do, we've, we've, we've created this, hey guys, tell us what you think. And then we're trying to, we're trying to then almost close down those conversations. And so we said, right, we had a complete internal reset. We sat down and we created a new set of rules, which we went out to the community and said, guys, what do you want from us? What do you want us to do in terms of moderating and allowing this community to flourish? And they told us and we did it. So we created new moderation rules. We changed some of the content that we were pushing out there on them and influenced some of our social media strategy as well from, a, from an ad perspective. But ultimately, we just said, we'll take a backward step and let it just let it flow. And if people are posting and they've got an issue in the background, we were contacting them directly and just saying, hey, look, we've seen that you've, you're unhappy with this, anything we can help with. And a lot of the time we would then if, they were, if it was a comment on a, on a post, we'd make sure that we'd comment on it and say, hey, look, we're really sorry if we let you down or you've got any problems, we'll, we'll DM you. So people knew that we were taking it seriously and we were listening. And suddenly over the last six or nine months or so, it's completely changed. It's completely changed the culture in there. We know it used to be it was our dominant conversation of what's going on in the RMG. Now, these days, we almost not don't talk about it because it's, it's critical for us, but actually yeah. we don't worry about it. I don't. It's not the first thing I it got, went through a phase. It was the last thing I was checking before I was going to sleep. Tonight, <laughs> yeah. and the first thing I was checking in the morning going, what's happened overnight while I've been asleep because a lot of our customers are in the US. And it's just changed. And it's just around allowing customers to have a voice and, that, and more importantly, that they know you care about their feedback and that you listen and you take it on board and that you're prepared to front up when, it, when it's bad, but also that when it's good, you celebrate it and you celebrate, almost celebrate the wins with them. So when we've done product launches, we've celebrated those product launches with them. And, it's, and it, has, it has really, really helped us. Well, you're creating a team, aren't you? So win, lose or draw, you do it all together, don't you? Yeah, yeah, completely. completely. What, would you, what would you say to people listening who don't have a community, um, a customer community that's into, you know, entwined with their social media, but I think, think it might be listening going, oh, this is a great idea. Let's set one up. Yeah. Um, what are the things to be to have in place to be mindful of? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is to understand why you're doing it. Because if you set up a customer community, if you only set it up as a contact deflection point and to say, if we do this, they won't contact us. If that's probably the wrong reason to do something like that, particularly in the social media space, the, the customer forum type things where they're much more controlled and managed is a bit different. But within the social media space, where it is like the Wild West, it can, it can yeah. be a free for all at times. You've got to understand, well, why do we want to do this? Why are we setting this up? Is it to encourage growth? Is it for customer feedback? Is it to bring people more into the brand? Is it for promotion? So if you've got a really clear vision of, well, this is why we're going to do it, 
you then come into the how and the what, and then you're into the, okay, well, how we're going to do it is we need to make sure what the moderation rules are and how, what our internal processes are when someone's got a complaint or someone's putting something on there that they shouldn't. How do you handle that? How do you handle those individual people, those individual customers? And how do you make sure it's run for the benefit of the many, not just for the, for the vote, for the very, very vocal few? And we know that's what social media is. You can have six people with just an extreme opinion and suddenly they're the ones who are getting all of the airtime. And you have to be prepared to listen to it, but not react to it. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's have your purpose. It's make it really clear on how you're going to manage it. And then the other one is, is definitely see it as a place where you get feedback, but don't base your entire business on it. Because otherwise the risk is those that you do end up with a vocal minority driving the narrative internally. Every meeting you're having is around, look, these four people said this in the, in, on the RNG or within your community or on social media. We've therefore got a problem. Make sure that you've got the ability to quantify how big those problems actually are or, or the problems, the feedback, whatever it might be. Just make sure you're able to quantify it so that you're using it as a, it's the start point and it can become a huge part of your strategy. But just make sure you've got other data points and other sense checks that enable you to make the right tactical or strategic decisions to, to, to change, to, to take your business forward. Um, but it is, it's, if you set it up right from day one, this is why we're here. This is what we want you want it to be. This is how we're going to work with you. And then the final thing is just be brave. But just be, because it's easy just to go, oh, we'll get, we've got bad stuff on there. Right, shut it down. Shut it down. Let's close it. Because, and I think so, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, quick, turn that Twitter handle off. Turn that Instagram page off. I think, I think, and I think businesses have done that. And in some respects, that's almost the worst thing you can do. Because you do that, it's suddenly people go, well, there's no smoke without fire. There's there's some there's something wrong there. You've just got to ride out and be brave because even when you have a difficult time with it, what you are getting from it and the way that it's helping you shape some of your thinking, not drive it, but shape it, is absolutely invaluable. Um, and it doesn't have to be expensive. That's the that's the other point. It's not expensive to do. You don't even necessarily have to go out and invest a load in, in technology to do it. If you're running it in, if you're running social media. Yes, you can have a, a hoot suite or a, or a sprinkler or whatever to run it, but you can also just run it directly in the native pages, and that works. The, the tools that the, the Facebook and those guys have got are good. So it's, um, yeah, it's. I love it. I, I I find it really really interesting, really exciting, and it's and because it's just a new type of customer experience that didn't exist ten years ago. So it just it just wasn't on the radar, but it, now it's becoming a way that you can you can create an engagement with your brand that just otherwise isn't out there. People like Gymshark, I think, have done it quite well. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a lively place when you, when when it's going on. But at the same time, you just learn loads. We've genuinely used it to to shape some of the features of our latest product that we launched. Our engineers are in there talking to our customers day in day out. Well, that's great. So, how cool is that? I mean, like like you, I I love it. And I think something you said um, uh, about somewhere you were about over. You know, kind of the surprise around. What people are quite happy to talk about energy and their bills and be helpful and and you're dead right. Something you said, people are helpful. Mm. You know, we want to be able to to share and go. Oh, actually, you know, you don't want to do that. This is the way to this is the way to do it. And if you're creating the space to do that, that's great. But in terms of the the community, isn't that really a better reflection of customer experience than a than a lot of the theories that people share or you're living it. You just open the door and you, and you step into the little town with your customers and 
you you deal with everything that comes that comes your way it's great yeah yeah it, it really is and i think there's it's not confirmation bias but sometimes if you if you're sending out loads and loads of customer surveys you're going to get the type of people who are happy to sit and fill out a survey and you might so you're going to get one they're useful and you're going to get a certain type of feedback from it but you're not going to get everything and i think that's where the, that's where the social media and the, the communities and the forums and wherever you want to set up and run it that's where they just give you something different from your standard kind of csat surveys or mps surveys or whatever it might be and your insight you get from that absolutely has its place but you start looking at what's going on out in the big wide world because you've ultimately you've got the whole of the internet could be talking about you in one way or another if you're reading about the whole of the internet about you you will learn a lot more than you will from just looking at 40 people who said you're they've given you a seven out of ten and said service was nice thanks you're yeah. going to learn a lot more from reading a reddit thread where they are going to town about you and you go wow actually we just didn't even know that was a thing no matter how connected you are we just did not know that was the thing because we're not buying our products or we're not taking that service or taking out that mobile contract or whatever it might be it's 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 really really useful because even if all it does is gives you the hot spots to, to to dig into in more depth it's it just gives you something different as well as a sort of being brave and going okay we're we're going to deal with this is there an element as well that it's kind of it's it's important to realize that it's not just a one-off that if you're there you're there for good because yeah. people talking about things it isn't like oh we'll we'll deal with this and then we'll never get anything else again yeah. this is a constant engagement right yeah it's that the insight and the, and the mentality has to be this isn't you're right it's not a project that you do and, and leave and move on to the next thing because otherwise it will wither or die or it will just it will become something that isn't constructive or, or of use um and customers will know that you did it for a reason and they'll see through that they'll see through actually all they were trying to do was to get a bit of, bit of publicity for a new product right okay well they don't care about us now and that will kick back around in that community and that will very very quickly amplify so you've got to just see it as it's a string to your bow to gain customer engagement and customer insight depending on what your what your purpose is as i said, as I said earlier but yeah you've, you've got to just sustain it and it's not it's not difficult it's not time, but what it is is probably time consuming. And it, but again, it's not reason. It's not that you need to stick an army of analysts or anything on it. You just have to have some people looking at it, working within it, who are really, really customer minded, really want to help, and really want to learn. And actually, if you've got them and they're then feeding that back into the business, and that you've got the mentality around the rest of the business, so that when you do, when that person does go, hey guys, I think we've got a thing here that we need to talk about. That whether it's if you're in a software company that actually you. Uh, all of your product engineers are actually going, okay, we need to listen to our customer on this because otherwise it's easy for them to sit in the background doing their coding and their product roadmaps and everything else, but not actually listening to what's going on from a customer experience. Or you're running UX workshops that are okay, but you're getting very engaged customers. It just gives you something completely different, but it has to be sustained over a period of time. Um, and everyone has to really buy into, if we're going to do this, it's now a part of what we do. It's as important as your phone lines or as your email. It is a contact channel that we need to manage we need to commit to and we need to get the insight from it's not just a flash in the pan because like i say otherwise customers will very very quickly see through that where does um the other kind of thing that you're passionate and about and um is the kind of digital experience and where and the part technology plays and some of the things to kind of be mindful of are the, are the two are the two linked as well yeah I think they are. I think the. I know I wouldn't profess to kind of be a techie. This is this is that crazy thing. I I, I work in that work in a 
what is primarily a kind of digital world these days. But I'm not a techie by nature, but I find technology absolutely fascinating. It's kind of the amount of stuff out there that people go, this new platform can do this. And you go, how, how is that even a thing? Like genuinely, how is that even a thing? Um, so I find technology fascinating, probably because it's completely alien to me and I just don't necessarily understand kind of what, how it works. And when they explain it, I go, okay, that blows my mind. But I think automation is, is a big one. So technology out there, automation. And I, I think the trouble is, and I've kind of, I think we've spoken about this before, automation done badly kills the customer experience. And it just, and what it actually does, it damages the whole industry. And there's a lot of nonsense about it, about, about, um, about automation. Too many companies have gone with, okay, we can do automation. Let's stick a bot on our site. Let's stick a bot at the front end of the site and off we go. And it doesn't work. And it, it just doesn't work. And I've kind of, I've been involved in projects like that where you put a bot out and it's just, you ask a simple question or put in a statement, and you just go, sorry, I don't understand. You need to talk to someone. And that just creates rage from the customers. Yeah. Like, what, if Google can answer my question, why can't you type thing? If when, you, <laughs> when you've got a tiny little knowledge base to work from. And I think the, there's a lot of, there is some good technology out there and there's some really bad technology. I've, the, the, what I've been working on most recently and I, I had a call with a guy a couple of years ago and he said the best deployments of automation and technology that he's seen is when you is when you give it to your agents to almost augment their experience first so give them tech give them the bots give them a knowledge base to sit and learn from and the machine learning that needs to sit in the background learns by your agents asking a question and ultimately they've got a lot of knowledge already so it's just augmenting what they are it's making them a bit faster more efficient more accurate then once you've got it so that it's almost so that it's then every time they ask it, it gives a hundred percent accurate question. Then you publish it to your customers. And I remember having that conversation. It was a, a genuine light bulb moment going, wow, that's, that's really yeah. smart. It's really, yeah. it's really bloody obvious when you think about it, Like You, you wouldn't have BMW launching a product that they've only, they've never taken out for a test drive. And going, there you go, <laughs> yeah. guys, can you go and test drive that for us? And everyone goes, well, yeah, but the wheels are coming off and this <laughs> yeah. this wouldn't do it. So why do we do it in the customer experience world? I just, I, I can't fathom it, but until someone points it out and they point it out to me, I was like, that is really, really, really clever. And I think that's where technology augmenting the experience of a human, as opposed to replacing it, I think is just really, really important because if you augment what, what a person can do over time, it can start to replace that, that person from a, from an efficiency point of view whatever it is and that's not to say that you don't need agents this thing of bots are taken over i don't think that's ever going to be a thing because you people no. still want, they still want to speak to someone whether that be on the phone or social media or email but technology can augment the experience out there but it's just i think we, there's been a lot of bad deployments from a lot of a lot of businesses which has probably damaged it a bit that's a really good point because i think i'm sure everyone listening you think about sometimes interacting with a with a company and we're, we create like a Raiders of the Lost Ark type challenge. You've got to get past this. You've got to creep through this tunnel. Then you have to do this. It's kind of right. You, you steal yourself to go, right, I'm going to have to find a way to make that line come up from the bot that says, I'll pass you through to an agent. Yeah. And then you go, great. I've create, I've succeeded in that part of my quest. You know? <laughs> it's like a computer game with the boss, isn't it? Yeah, I've got, I've got past the boss and I'm through, through to the next level. It's, but, but it is, it's crazy. It's crazy that we're doing that, that, that we've done that. And I think some of like um, voice, voice IVRs can be fantastic. And when they're really well deployed, they are completely seamless and completely, again, it blows my mind that it can listen to my voice and know 
exactly who I am and, and take me straight through to an agent and they know who I am and they're already talking to me because I've gone through security. That stuff when it works well and is deployed well is amazing. But when it's give us your card details and you go five, four, did you say five, three? And you're just going, no. Okay. And again, but it means that what happens is by the time somebody does speak to an agent, they're already at, they're already angry. So the agents are bearing the brunt of a frustrated customer that didn't need to happen. So I think there's, we shouldn't be trying to create these, you're right. We shouldn't create barriers or challenges or tests that people have to get to, to get the experience they want. It's actually, what does our customer want? And then build it from that, as opposed to what do we want or we think they want, and then you build the experience in reverse. And I, and I think the businesses that are doing it well have kind of, have really got that nailed. And I think the kind of, like, as you said, really thinking about the deployment and getting getting agents to use it it's like you say it seems so obvious but it's such a great shout do yeah. that first get it get it in its best position and then do it but you're right i think i i had a um last just last week i had to speak to my bank about something went through um couldn't do it online went through the um ivr process and it kicked me out halfway through then so i thought right go back did it all again by this point i'm you know, I bet you're the same. You have like a, uh, a, a real interest in these sort of interactions. Yeah. And I was just made a note and I was like, right, okay. I'm now up to about 20 minutes. And again, I've got the same sort of fault, but instead of hanging up, it put me through to an agent. And the even though in both attempts, I'd gone through a lot of security and it had confirmed who I was and it had given me some information when I came through to the agent, that age old thing happened where the agent said, hello, how can I help? And you have to go through it all again. And I I just sometimes can't help myself. I, I'm genuinely interested. And I said, oh, hello, yeah, this, I'm kind of from your world. Could you just tell me, are you, are you asking me these things, even though, do you have my information that I've entered? Or is it as brand new, like you're suggesting in terms of how you're asking me? And he said, oh, no, that uh, the systems don't talk to each other. <laughs> of course they don't. <laughs> how, yeah. silly, how silly of me. Yeah. And the, and the, the crazy, the, the, the funny thing for me is that I've, I've seen a lot of kind of criticism of energy companies and stuff lately. And I've got a bit of a vested interest in it because I think, well, I've, I've never worked in a company where anyone sits in kind of darkened rooms going, Wah-ha-ha, let's make a really crappy experience for our customers. Nobody does that. Everybody no who works in this world, do it for a reason, which is they want to they want to do a good job. No one says how to do a bad job and build a bad process or a bad platform or whatever else. And, and so I think it's, I sometimes go, wow, there must be some real barriers to why you've ended up like this. And it could be, like you say, it could be the tech stack or whatever mm. it is. But I just, I think in this day and age, I think it's, it's easy to, it's easy for us to kind of criticize it almost, isn't it? Because we work in that world and understand it. But sometimes I have to check myself sometimes and go, there will be a reason why that's yeah, doing something that it's doing. And I almost feel sorry for whoever's trying to manage that project or whoever's, whoever wants to build it, because everyone would love to build that, first, that perfect experience. And I think that's where, as you said earlier on, about um, kind of the, the CX writers and the CX practice. I think that's where a lot of CX conversations kind of fall down, because it's very easy to externally sit outside a business and criticise it without having necessarily been involved in the deployments. Because in that, in that world, you're right, it's, what that is, is they've built a process and a platforms that ultimately they've got two huge, great processes, which are frustrating the customer, but they're not talking to each other. And you sincerely want to believe and hope that there is a, 
a customer service director and an IT director in that in that building going, we need to fix this. We just need to fix it. And for whatever reason, they haven't yet. But you hope that they will in the future. Um, You've made it. You made a great point. Is we know, don't we, that all of our efforts in our industry are about make trying to make things better for the for the customer. So you're, you're dead right. No one's sitting there going, let's what? How can we make this platform game? even harder <laughs> yeah 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 and, and you and you do you go but ultimately someone at some, people at different points have taken decisions that have led to that like you say led to the you've got to fight the guardian and jump over the bridge and fight donkey kong um <laughs> but it's i think unpicking it is the, is the challenge but also to, to an extent if you're kind of interested in this world it's what when you're moving around different businesses is what makes it interesting you should go yeah. how do we unpick that puzzle and put everything back together again when in a startup world it's relatively easy because you're going okay what's the shiniest piece of tech that i can take off the shelf and deploy if you're in a legacy business and you've got 20 years of history and 14 different it systems that's where it becomes really really difficult um and as we i, I certainly saw that at dyson dyson is a huge business big global business so trying to bring in new tech platforms there is really difficult because you're trying to mesh it in with 14 other systems but also 14 other projects each of which are trying to fix something different and you've got to make sure they tie in together um and like i say i'm not, I'm not attacking that kind of world at all but i just i find it really interesting how these these platforms work how they and, and when they're done well you almost don't know they exist you don't even know that they're there because the experience as a customer is just so clean so simple and so seamless but when they're when they're badly deployed or when they're just the the nuts and bolts haven't been put together quite right just yet it can just be really really frustrating as a customer and you can understand why people get mad completely and it comes back to the community point as well doesn't it because what a great what a great way i'm just thinking about my experience if 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 there was a community that i could go you know we all want to be helpful like you said if I, there was one that i could go hey guys do you know that this is happening and someone might go yeah we've all shared that they're on it blah 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 rather than it just being okay well this is just the way they are I've just got to accept it so the community's great for that it absolutely is it, it really is because because as you say because it could be that actually one person has spoken to the customer service director or the or the, the, the change manager or whatever it is and go hey guys look these they, they they know they know that this ivr doesn't work but they are fixing it at the moment and then suddenly you'll get a load more input into it. A big customers will go, I'd love to hear this. I'd love to hear this. I never want to hear green sleeves again on, on, on hold music. And you, you can then start to use that insight based on those conversations. And most of all, you can have some fun with it. You can, and that's what I love about the communities as well. You can, you can just have some fun. You can get some humor. You can kind of, you can be a bit more, I suppose in many respects, you can be a bit more human than you probably are expected to be over email or, or yeah. you've got to be quite, you've got to be, depending on the business you're in, you've got to be a level of professionalism. When yeah. you go in, if you get the communities right, you can just be, hey, this is us, this is who we are, this is yeah. John, this is Dave, this is Emma, and they can just get to know those customers really well and be, be kind of be authentically human. And I think that authentically human is just that big theme that comes through a lot of service at the moment. If you really, if people, if people buy you as a person and understand that actually you're a you're a person who gets up, goes to work, has good days, bad days, and everything else, they're more likely to empathise and listen to you and feel like you do care about their needs and what they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, and it just means you can have a, a few highlights if you can have some laughs while you're doing it. In, exactly, in it's perfect. I love it. Let's um, let's bring this to a close. With I just wanted to uh, pick your brains really about something we mentioned at the start—the kind of judging. And for you, what does a good 
nomination look like for people that are thinking or people that are already know their finalists what um what's the what's the way to kind of get you thinking oh yeah this is a good one i think there's a number of my my old teams when i hear if they hear if they hear me say this will laugh make sure you've got a really clear narrative you've got to tell a story if all you're doing is just bombarding here's here's pages of graphs and stats and graphs and stats you've got to have that that story of what why should why do we why do we why should we care and why should we be really highly engaged with what you're telling us now because everyone will show our net promoter score went from this to this and our employee satisfaction went from this to this tell us the story of why it actually makes a difference to your customers so i think have that why is a really really critical part of it um and if you've got a really clear narrative and a really clear theme that's 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 fantastic the other point I think that some businesses sometimes lose is they'll, they'll be entered in a category and they'll try to tell you everything that they've done in the last year, even down to, and I've, I used to have three sugars in my tea and now I only have two. And this, like the, the level of, they, they try to tell you too much almost. It's be really specific of, right, what category am I in? And what do you need to know? Not, here's, let's say everything we've done within the business so i think if you've got a clear narrative and you're keeping it really focused to the actual entry itself that makes a huge difference and the other one is if you've done something that's really really different i remember judging a couple of years ago and it was a, a german bank and they had gone through a complete kind of operating model transformation and i i remember just sitting there and going that is like nothing i've ever seen i've i've never seen anything like that. and they they won in the end if you've got something really different make sure that you're talking about that point in detail if it's something if it's something that you've never seen in the industry before and you're working in that company it's probably going to be pretty unique so talk us and tell us about it get us excited about it um and if you're using a video make sure your video works because <laughs> the number of times people are trying to play a video and they go oh it's not working it's not working it's not it working. never does this <laughs> yeah and you feel so yeah it never does this you, and you feel for people at the time but yeah yeah, just make sure your videos are working. But I think th those three themes have a, have a really narrow, clear narrative. Don't try and tell us too much. And if you've got something that's unique, shout about it. And shout about it early. I don't know if it was one where we were together, but there was there was one where it literally was the last thing they said as a kind of throwaway comment was the thing that everyone remembered. They um, It was a, to help engineers and things like that. They built a house for people to role play in. Yes. Uh, and it was the one of the very last things that was mentioned. You're like, sorry, say that again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we just built this house and people could go in there and there was uh, vulnerable customer role plays. And okay. And now we're out of time. You know, it's yeah. like. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. And because that that was absolutely incredible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I remember, I remember the, the business. Yeah. And do you think it's because people. Uh, they don't get an outward view of themselves before going in. I mean, the process is helpful in that sense that you've got external people going and kind of going, you do know that no one else does this. This is, this is really special. And maybe they haven't realized, I don't know. Sometimes I think it's, it's almost maybe the bigger the business that they kind of go, well, we take for granted we do this because this yeah. is what we do all the time. Um, and that, I think the bigger the business, sometimes they become quite insular, are quite inward looking. So, and they'll be doing some brilliant stuff that they'll just take for granted that this is just what we do. Um, whereas maybe the smaller, smaller kind of more agile businesses do are prepared to go because they haven't got the budgets or the resource, or they do tend to look at what other clever stuff's going on in the industry. But yeah, I do think it is. 
yeah if you've got something unique shout tell, tell us at the start what because there's almost that moment when you're judging where you suddenly sit up and go oh this is going to be good you, go. yeah. you, you can feel yourself <laughs> you, can, you can look around the screen and see everybody lean forward a little bit start <laughs> scribbling more notes well hopefully we might even be face to face you never know yeah hopefully that would it would be great that this year we can get more face-to-face -face visits and face-to-face -face judging i think that's video video technology is brilliant i love like i say it's changed everything yeah. for everybody but you still can't beat face-to-face -face interactions whether that be going back in the office and i know that's you could have an entire podcast on that but that being in being in the office having those human face-to-face -face interactions and just the fun and the laughter and the all that goes with it and it's got to be right for everyone else but same with judging you yeah can, you can have a much more fun if you're sat next to each other and you're kind of having a bit of a chat between between sessions so yeah fingers crossed yeah i'm looking forward to it. andy thanks so much for coming on as always i find um you're really insightful there's some really great things that you've shared really helpful and um we'll definitely have to do it again final final question are everton going to stay up <laughs> do you know if you'd have asked me after the burnley game i would have said no i was getting ready to buy tickets to maybe go and watch forest green against everton in a couple of years time um after the weekend i think so i yes. think we might be okay yeah for another season at least i would i i would agree i hope so i quite like that club <laughs> We're a nice club. We're just, um, yeah, we need to make some changes. Andy Cook, thank you very much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Great. Thanks, Martin. Great speaking to you.